Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Richard Bliss, and my guest today, he's a very special guest. They're all special. All my guests are special. But in this case, he's ultra special because Aldo has been on the show for many years and has shared an abundance of wisdom. Aldo is formerly with Impressions, handling the distribution side for a wide variety of board game projects out there. And a lot of them are on Kickstarter. And we've talked about Kickstarter. Aldo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate it again, Richard. Always fun to be here. You are calling me from your uh, uh, mountain retreat. Well, I just thought about Well, the Gamma Trade Show... Our industry trade show is happening next week, and uh, since I'm local to localish to the Reno area, uh, I like to host a, a, a pre-party uh, up in Tahoe uh, for clients and industry people. It's just fun up here, and I love it. So, yes, uh, fun stuff in the snow. Fun stuff in the snow. How much snow are we talking about? There was six feet outside. They've been clearing it. There, there's no place to put the snow. That's the big joke is that nobody knows where to put it. So. It's Tahoe. What do you Just throw it in the lake. What are you talking about? Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> All right. So, Ter- terrible. But I noticed you said, you said formally. You said formally of impression. Yes. So let's talk about that because over the years, as you and I have known each other for now for many years, and you have been known in the industry, w- w- impressions and Aldo go hand in hand. And so now Aldo Giazzi is no longer part of impressions. Is that what, what the news says? Not, not exactly. So the way it works is Aldo is still part of impressions. But now Impressions, as of January 1st, is owned by a company called Flat River Group out of uh, a place called Belding, Michigan, outside of Grand Rapids. And Flat River Group uh, is a distributor that specifically does uh, a lot of Kickstarter fulfillment, dropship fulfillment, and then they're a distributor specifically for the mass market side of the game and toy industry. So they're the people that get games on Amazon, Walmart, Target, you know, even Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, Bed, Bath, Bed Bath Beyond carries board games? Online, so it's a weird thing, but yes. So uh, they do dropship in that case. So, But Impressions is now technically on the books, a division of Flat River Group and owned by Flat River Group. So we are in the process of closing down my old Impressions warehouse, and uh, the Impressions warehouse will now be uh, at Flat River Group. So it's not a you know, a fulfillment deal or anything. They truly own Impressions, the name. I am a salaried employee uh, uh, working for them, uh, specifically doing what well, what I think was the fun part, at least for me, um, is dealing with the distributors and dealing with the game publishers and helping them get the games out there on the wholesale side. And that's what we want to talk about today is this whole distribution model, because as Kickstarter has continued to evolve, so many projects out there want to get there. And we're going to talk about specifically about board games because we normally do on this show. Board gamers who put out their project on Kickstarter and then they need it to get into distribution. But there's always been this yin yang, this pull, push, pull between, hey, if I'm in Kickstarter, why would I go to distribution? Because when you go to Kickstarter, you get all of the money. And when you go to distribution, you have to give up 60% of the money. And if I'm a small business, Mm -hmm. I struggle with that. And I have to admit, I still struggle with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is is the, the very first thing anybody says to me who has a game on Kickstarter. They're like, well, wait a minute. I've heard this 60% off. Is that negotiable? And it's like, well, not really. You're not Wizards of the Coast. You're not Asmodee. Um, 
you know, the standard these distributors look at is 60 off, you know, unless you get some pull some way, somehow, and that's really hard in the beginning. But the, the theory with wholesale is large volumes for the cheapest purchase. Now, that's not always the case when a Kickstarter project is doing a million dollars, you know, and whatever, 10,000 backers and distribution wants to order like 2,000 copies. So <laughs> some people still wonder about that. Um, 2,000 copies used to be the full run of a board game. And now we're talking yep. about a regular – that 2,000 copies is just like, oh, yeah, I'll just do a print an extra 2,000 copies. Things have dramatically changed because of Kickstarter and the distribution model as well. Correct. And it used to be easy where we would see a game on Kickstarter way back in the beginning and go, oh, that game got – 150 backers, we, we know that that won't sell very well in distribution, whereby, of course, the opposite, oh, my God, this did a half a million dollars and 10,000 backers. We need this for distribution. It will sell in distribution. And that actually, in my opinion, has drastically changed over the years. Wait, it's drastically changed for the better or for the worse? For the more complicated, actually. It's like, it is, in my opinion, personally, the you know, whatever the success or failure of a Kickstarter is, is very disproportionate to what it's just random. It's chaotic as to what it's going to do in distribution. There's no parallel. There's no comparison. There's no ratio, at least for the, for the most part that I've seen. And now you have some outliers. Um, you have some games, sure. obviously, that you've carried mm -hmm. over the years, the most famous being Red Dragon. Uh, excuse me. Red Dragon Inn was your first one, but it was not a Kickstarter uh, game, no. not your first one, but one of your bigger successes. Gloomhaven was a big success that you have worked with sure. Isaac, who's been on this show, um, with your recommendation. And so what you're telling me, though, is that you take those outliers, set them aside, is that just because it does well on Kickstarter, that data does not help translate to how well it will do in distribution. For the most part, not anymore, in my opinion. I mean, for the ones that I've seen. I mean, Slugfest Games, for example, with Red Dragon Inn, you know, they just recently started going on Kickstarters, and overall, their Kickstarters are not very impressive, but we're still selling mounds of Red Dragon Inn through distribution, including the original Red Dragon Inn 1 that's been around for 12 years. We still sell a very large amount every single year consistently, you know, and then you have somebody like, I don't want to point fingers, but you have some people that that do have very successful Kickstarters and come to me and go, Aldo, I'm, I need 5,000 for, for, uh, for Kickstarters. How many do you want for distribution? I'm like, well, like 1,500. And they're going, are you sure? And I go, yeah. It's just, that's the way the data looks. So, and what data are you looking at? Because you keep saying, well, in my opinion, Aldo, the reason you're on the show is because you are one of the most informed <laughs> people. So your opinion as, as McCoy said to Spock, your opinion is better than other people's, right? Your guess is better than other people's Well, I, I appreciate that. But, but the data that I look at is the sales trends of the clients that I've worked with in my database for nearly 20 years where I see sales patterns of types of games. And I can say for the most part, if a game is a, you know, a fantasy card game for $30 for 90% of the time, I can tell you what that's going to sell. There are, of course, outliers, but nine times out of 10, the game will sell X amount. So if a game, for example, like Red Dragon Inn has a track record, that makes it even easier that we know like five games down the road, we're still selling X amount. We know the next game's going to probably sell X amount, maybe less 10% or 5%. But, you know. And um, it's, it's interesting because as, so 
Yeah, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but let's go back to that. <laughs> that what is it that you're looking at? So you said $30 fantasy card game. I mean, is that it? If I just make a $30 fantasy card game, I'm set? Well, it's not about being – let's just say that was the ultimate. You know, right now it's party games, you know, light 20-minute party games, whatever, you know, games that play less than an hour or whatever that are cheap. Um, that's trendy. So those are the ones people are going to tend to try, for example. But everybody laughs at me when I tell them, put a dragon on the cover or a wizard and you're going to sell more. They're like, what? No, fantasy's so flooded. And I'm like, yeah, fantasy's so flooded. But I, could, but I have data that shows me that a fantasy game will sell more than a sci-fi-themed game or more than a Western-themed game, for the most part. Again, for the most part. There are exceptions, like Western Legends surprised me a lot, you know, and I'm not I tend to see that Western games tend to not sell as much, but Western Legends has become an outlier in that genre. And it doesn't mean you can't break out, but, but you know, in whatever the cookie cutter is. But again, I look at the percentages and I say, well, 90% of the time, a Western-themed game does a lot less than sci-fi and fantasy. I'm a betting man. I'm going to go with the odds. You're going to go with the odds. And, and, and uh, I think a Cult Express, one of my favorite games out there, right? Another Western-themed it, game. Another Western outlier, definitely. But I think it's an outlier because the mechanic of the game is the outlier. That That's what's drawn. It's not the theme. It's actually the uh, the, uh, the mechanics of that game. Uh, oh, the games uh, or the the meeples being moved up and down in the three D train, yeah. And then out of order, right? The uh, the the yeah. the movement pre planning that type of thing. Okay, that, yeah. that aside. Yeah. So one of the things I want to talk to you about though is that okay, so you're saying that this distribution model, but we didn't answer the first question: is that why would I give up sixty percent of my income oh, for yeah. distribution when I can just make it all on Kickstarter? Well, I give people the answer that they don't like because, like you said, they're so used to getting that money right now for Kickstarter or in 30 days or whatever and know how many they're going to sell and go, oh, it's no risk. Well, with distribution, what it's always been, whether you date me back in the beginning from when I first started doing this or right now, distribution wholesale is all about the long tail. And a lot of people don't have the patience and or the capital to wait to see if that long tail is going to happen and, you know, and, and, and support them basically. And I can understand that. So that long tail, but there's some elements to that long tail. Let's be clear. If I make a very successful Kickstarter game and I put it in distribution and then I sit on it and like, okay, Aldo told me the long tail. So I'm going to wait and I wait and I wait two, three, four years and the game's not selling. I'm like, Hey, where's the long tail? And well, then, I can tell you. I can tell you that I can tell you. I can tell my clients after three to six months that that long tail ain't gonna happen. And, I can actually tell most of my clients after three months what the, I, I with good accuracy how well their game's gonna do in the next couple of years in distribution. After oh, just and what months. is it you're looking at in those three months that gives you that insight to say whether I'm gonna be successful? Well, obviously, when a game is first announced, sometimes there's just not fanfare. So we sell the game, we ship it out, the game gets out there, people try it, people review it, people comment on it, and then we get the next month, which is people reacting from that first month of release going, oh, well, this came out, what's this all about? Then they react. Well, if the reaction is, of course, really, really good, then the next month you see a spike of distributors and retailers trying to get that game get more. Oh, I want to order more. I want to restock it, things like that. Now, if there wasn't that reaction, then by month three, 
the few people that wanted it put those numbers in, and I can tell by the end of the third month going, okay, the reaction has now subsided or it didn't happen, you know. But people always want to know, well, although how do we change that? And I'm like, you got to look at other pieces of the pie, like conventions, for example. Kickstarter is just a piece of the pie. Distribution is a piece of the pie. Conventions are a piece of the revenue pie. You know, mass market, Amazon, another piece of the pie. So There's- convention. So we can go to convention. I want to come back to the distributor, though, because I, sure. I suspect – and then we'll talk about conventions. You and I have talked about conventions on the show a lot. <laughs> um, but we come back to the distributor. The end of three months, well, it's not going to do that well. But I think there's a secret, and you have brought this up. We have talked about this. But if I release another project on Kickstarter, right, uh, six months, eight yeah. months, nine months, ten months, a year later, and now I reference the previous one, there is a good chance that I can breathe new life into that within the year if another Kickstarter project comes out that's not even necessarily related. Is that right? Well, breathe life on the, when you do add-ons, yes. So it still goes back to that generic, your game isn't dead direct-to-consumer theory, which is what conventions are for, add-ons are for on Kickstarter, and of course, any online sales that anybody does. You know, retailers are very unforgiving, not in an insulting way, but they're just like, okay, I brought in two copies of the game. It didn't move. I'm moving on. Because they can't support this tsunami of games, which I'm taking your phrase, is that the retailer doesn't have enough shelf space, you know, to put the tsunami of games that have come on. So they can't focus on, like they used to in the day, commit to 24 copies in their store, demo the game on a game night, you know, do a tournament, do a promotion, say, hey, come try this new game. It's really hard for them to do. They can still pick and choose, of course, but there's just so many now out there that, there's so many being missed, of course. And that, and that brings up another point. There's so many being missed. missed. And, that, and I think that's oh, yeah. what takes us into the, trade, the conventions is that yep. I put a game out there. I think – I'm reminded of Max Temkin who has been on the show a couple of times who did Cards Against Humanity with his group of friends. And he told me that when they sold their 4,000th copy of Cards Against Humanity, he swore and believed that every person on the planet who wanted the game <laughs> had the game. <laughs> No, not right? the case, not the case. But yeah. I, I live in the marketing tech world. You and I both live in Silicon Valley area. Uh, well, you're yeah. not. You're, yeah. You've moved up to Tahoe. You've made, you've, you've no, no, the mother I still mode. live here. I still live in the Bay Area. You do. Anyway. But, but I see it all the time is that we get so enamored with our own marketing, our own familiarity with our product that we believe that everybody is familiar, as familiar with it as we are. Nope. And then yet you discover, no, they're not. And that's where I think you were going to lead with the convention concept. Well, I'll give you a good example of somebody I, I, you know, I've been having good conversations with on their success of one of their games is Keith from Thunderworks with Roleplayer. Um, he's done several print runs. Uh, it continues to sell in distribution. I know that it's going to sell for quite a long time in distribution. I can give him better estimates now and all that. But one thing that he told me that he's just he's, – he said it to me multiple times. He goes, I'm going to all these conventions now because I, he changed to doing this full time. He's going to conventions now, and he goes, the first biggest problem he has, he goes, hey, Aldo, I go to the conventions, and people walk up, and I go, oh, hey, have, have you heard of Role Player, and do you want a demo? And they go, no, I haven't heard of it. What's that? And Keith gets like, what do you mean you haven't heard of it? Oh, you know, three print runs later and all these distribution sales. But the reality is, is that there's such a huge market of people out there that he's got still a whole pool of potential consumers out there that just because of this tsunami goes, well, I mean – 
your game may be doing well, but I haven't heard of it because I have these hundred other games that I still haven't played yet. So I recommend that to publishers all the time. I've always said for years that three best marketing tools out there for game publishers are conventions, conventions, and conventions because it sells direct to consumers, people that may not have seen you. You actually get to visit local retailers or run into local retailers at those conventions and introduce your game to them as well. And then three, of course, there's just general industry people. You may have the stray distributor or the stray other publisher you run into and you get to know and they help you out or a printer or whatever. So I love conventions for marketing games. I know you, you know, do. And I struggle with it because – not that I struggle with conventions, although I don't go to a lot. And pretty much if I go to one – I only go to one probably if you're there. Um, now that I think about it. Um, as, we, as we go to the Gamma Trade Show soon. <laughs> yes, as we go to the Gamma Trade Show next week. Uh, one of the yes. things is how I, I, I struggle with understanding how I could go set up a booth. I have done trade shows in the tech world, and, and they're expensive. And I yeah. know there's travel, there's, there's food and cost and hotel, and mm-hmm. the, there's all of that. And then I'm going to stand there, and people are going to randomly walk by, and I'm going to try to get them to buy a couple of copies of my $40 game. How in the world am I covering those costs to justify that I should be there? That's another answer. That's another question where the answer to me, again, my opinion, is the long tail. Is that when you first go to a convention, let's just use Gen Con. First time you go, you're in a 10 by 10. You bring your wife, your kids, your best friend, and there's like six of you in the booth, you know, wearing a logo T-shirt, and you're trying your best, and you come out and you go, I just spent thousands of dollars, and we only sold X amount. We barely covered costs. But the, the idea is with conventions, the next convention you go to, whether it's PAX Unplugged or Origins or whatever it may be, somebody will see you again, and you're going to have people that eventually will get comfortable seeing you. Now, Let's put on the marketing 101 hat in any industry that one of the things says is that it takes on average a consumer seven impressions yep. to be comfortable with your product. Yep. So that's why Pepsi and Coke continue to advertise every day. So it's the same with that. I've experienced so many people that go to local conventions and, and they come and they make their $300 the first time, then they make 400 and Next thing you know, they're making thousands. And it's because more and more people have seen them and they just continuously go into these conventions. And you need to, of course, have a proper plan, demoing games properly. Obviously, there's a way to be at a convention and not just stand behind a booth and say hello when somebody walks by. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and then you bring up another uh, point, and that is a plan. And this comes back to what we <laughs> talked about earlier, and that is uh, capital, cash flow, money. Yeah. Because to do yeah. the, long, the long tail – it doesn't mean just stick it out there and then wait a long time. It means you have mm-hmm. to continue to make that investment, which, which is a cautionary tale to those people mm-hmm. who want to put a, Kickstarter, a board game on Kickstarter and then start their own publishing company, is that it takes a lot more work and capital than the Kickstarter campaign is probably going to give you. Well, a lot of people think, let's put the game on Kickstarter, let's make our $250,000, and then I'm going to use that to print the game and then to run my company. And if you just bet on distribution sales or convention sales or the Kickstarter sales to, for the one game to run the company, most likely that's not going to do well. I mean, but everybody says, well, where am I going to get all this money? Kickstarter's been a solution, of course, to that. And that's been great. It's kickstarted slash jumpstarted a lot of game publishers for games we, we would have never seen. But it is trouble for a lot of people to, to do the long tail 
when they're just getting revenue on one game. And so what advice do you give them? Somebody comes to you, do you give advice and say, hey, you should consolidate? You may, you got a great game, but you should not be doing this on your own. Make this part of a bigger, uh, a bigger group. So go find a publisher who's looking for their next game. You're a game looking for your uh, publisher. You're matching those up. Do a little matchmaking there. I mean, do you see that well, happening? I, well, I, see, I think that depends on the personality of the person. Uh, as a consolidator, many of our clients tend to be heavy on the design side. So they don't necessarily want to pick up the phone and call a distributor and say, hello, my name is so-and-so from so-and-so. I'd like to promote and give you the you know, marketing pitch or the sales pitch. They're, they're designers. So you know, we do that for them. But there are some people, of course, that have the personality to be a company person and run a business. Running a business is not easy. You know, you got to be, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, do no accounting and no taxes and no, you know, whatever logistics. And some people just, it's not their thing or they're not interested in it. So what advice would so, you give as we wrap up? I'm we're out of time, but we can oh, go on sorry. forever. But no, that's all right. I, I would say it's your, it's your personality. If you're a designer and you're heavy on making the, the gameplay and the rules perfectly for your game, then chances are you're going to want to find a publisher. Um, you know, if you're a you know more business savvy and you want to be the person that says, I really love games and I know what makes a good game. I want somebody to design these games for me and I'll take care of the rest. Then of course, be a publisher. You know, some people can do both though. But it's harder and harder to do both, I think, with just the, yeah. the, the flood. There is a lot of money. Board games continue to be – tabletop games continue to be yep. the largest funding category on Kickstarter, generating yeah. you know, tens and tens of millions of dollars, now over $100 million. Um, but it's not easy. It's also one of the largest failing categories. Yeah. And so it's something That's to fun. keep out in mind. Okay. So you've given a lot of fun good advice. Well, I, I hope so. Well, I always think so. And so – Flat River Group, if I've got a game, I'm interested, do they still reach out to you? Correct. And even more so, that is, like I said, that my job is focused specifically now with this transition to only deal with the distributors, only deal with the retailers, and only deal with the game publishers who want to be connected to those people. And Flat River Group, the business, company will just run the logistics and the payroll and the ordering tape you know, for boxing. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that anymore. All right. And how would they reach out to you, Aldo? Um, my email address is still the same that it's been for all these years, Aldo at impressionsadv.net. Um, it is still where I'm at and what I do. And the website still is the website. Or find you at a local convention. Yes. Gamma Trade Show next week. Yes. Yes. All right. Thanks, Aldo. Thanks always for being here and kind of talking a little bit about this distribution model. I appreciate it. Thank you again, Richard. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Aldo Giazzi from Flat River Group, the impressions division of Flat River Group. We've been talking about distribution, Kickstarter, board games, that type of thing. Hopefully you found something interesting, helpful, or insightful. I always do have a conversation with Aldo. And I appreciate those who have been supportive of the show, my Patreon backers who are out there. And if you'd like to have a conversation about this episode or any episodes as we move forward, find us on Facebook with the Funding the Dream on Kickstarter podcast Facebook group. Now, that's a mouthful. But basically, look for me, Funding the Dream. You can go through my uh, personal contact on Facebook. But we will talk about the show and all things. Aldo and I are going to chat for just a few more minutes for those who are Patreon backers so they can kind of hear a little bit more. But thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you.